Thank you, Pastor Russell. Love you so much, bro. Pastor Russell is one of my favorite uh, friends to text with because it's always a mix of comedic banter, deep theology, and burden for what God is doing in our generation. So you guys are so blessed, and I'm thankful to be here with the Pursuit family. So thank you very much for having me. Um, a couple years ago, I had the opportunity, a uh, challenge from the Lord, to put together a, a resource I, that I want to share with you this morning um, and make available to you. Um, three years ago, I received a dream, and how many of you know not all dreams are from God, but sometimes, every once in a while, God's in them, you know? And for me, more times than often, God's, God's in those. And, and he spoke to me three things through this dream. Number one, that there was a great harvest coming, especially for those ministries who were oriented to bring the gospel to the next generation. Number two, that the message of identity, the believer's identity in Christ, would be like a prophetic key that would unlock the discipleship journey and the transformation in the heart of the next generation. And then number three, that it was so important to the Lord that in, in the great work of the great harvest, that the church did not neglect the dirty work of discipleship. And so I actually responded to that revelation by putting together a book called New Identity, 30 Days of Prayer for Spiritual Transformation. This is a 30-day devotional workbook on the topic of identity. How many of you know that um, culture is like in upheaval right now around the topic of identity? As a culture, we believe the lie that identity is something that we choose based on our ideas, our emotions, our feelings, even the lust of the flesh. But in the kingdom of God, because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, identity is not a reality that we choose. It's a reality that we receive from God. And there is so much freedom and joy and peace and healing when we let God define us. So you can support our work with the next generation, our work training churches in different parts of the world by picking up one of those resources, paying for it on the way out. If you don't have any cash or you don't have a car, you don't have money on the count because 2020 bits you on the bottom, you know, um, just tell them it's on me. I want to put a resource in your hand that would lead this God moment into a God movement in our life. Okay, well, this morning I have the joy of bringing a message that I'm going to entitle, Lift Up Your Eyes. I believe the Spirit of the Lord may well be saying to the Pursuit Church today, will you lift up your eyes? The practice of lifting our eyes throughout Scripture is actually a devotional practice that we engage for the purpose of aligning our vision and our perspective to God's perspective. We are in desperate need as the people of God to continually lift up our eyes and see from a new place. The passage that we're going to read from this morning is John chapter 4, the account where Jesus ministers to a woman of Samaria, um, a, a woman of a broken past, a sexualized past, a woman who has been a victim, a woman who has had identity, her sexuality robbed, a woman who had lived outside of God's highest and best for her life. If you remember that passage, we're not going to read this part. Jesus gives a word of knowledge from, by the Spirit of God from the Father to the woman. He says, go call your husband. She says, I'm not married. The Lord says, you're right. You've been married five times. And the man you're living with right now, you're not even married to. 
Now, you, we hear that kind of exposure. Jesus exposes this woman by the word of knowledge. And we, we tend to think through our broken filter that exposure means disqualification. Exposure means shame. Exposure means condemnation. But Jesus doesn't use the prophetic that way. Jesus uses the prophetic in a way where he, he, he's okay with exposing sin, exposing darkness, and the need for repentance because he knows whenever he exposes our sin and invites us to repentance, he's actually inviting us to restore connection with him. He's inviting this woman to receive healing and grace and salvation from him. This is so beautiful. She runs into the city, and this is where we pick up in John chapter 4, verse 29. The Bible says this. I'm going to, oh, it's not coming up, so I'm going to, we got my back. Oh, here we go. The woman says, come. She's running into the town. See a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Her encounter with Jesus led to her giving a message to her town, like, come and see this man. How many of you know whenever someone truly encounters Jesus, there's always a message that follows? They went out from the town, and they're coming to meet Jesus. Picture, Jesus is at the well. His disciples are coming to him. The town of Samaria is walking out of the village to meet him. Keep in mind, historically, there were intense, intense Hatred, enmity between the Jewish people of Jesus' day and the Samaritans. And it was rooted in theological um, understanding as well as racial bigotry. So these, I, this d- division was rooted in ideology that was fueled by both religion and theology as well as racial bigotry. The disciples are bewildered at this moment. They're looking at this crowd. They're looking at Jesus talking with a single woman from a broken and sinful background. And and meanwhile, the disciples are urging him, Rabbi, just eat something. It's lunchtime. I like to think this, this, the disciples were like a little Mexican grandma in this moment. You know, eat, eat, mijo, eat, comele. And, (laughs) but he said to them, I've got food that you don't even know about. So the disciples are looking around like, who brought him lunch? Judas. You know, it. Verse 34, Jesus said to him, hey, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Then Jesus says this. He says, do, do you not say there are, there are four months and then comes the harvest? Church family, can you say the word harvest? harvest? Jesus says, look, I'm telling you, lift up your eyes. See the fields now are ripe for harvesting. I have to imagine that Jesus was pointing to the town of Samaria that was walking out to him. This town and this, uh, this people group, this ethnic people group, that the disciples had hatred for in their hearts. And Jesus says, you say there's four months, but I'm telling you the harvest is here. See, when Jesus called the disciples to lift up their eyes to see the harvest, he was pulling them out of their little dysfunctional God boxes that they had put them in. That he was pulling them out of their racism, their bigotry, and their broken theological framework that put them at odds with this village and this community. Jesus was doing so much through this simple invitation. Lift up your eyes. I think there's a message for the Church of America in our day today. Even as the pressures of 2020 have exposed our polarization and our division, even in the church. It used to be that we could see polarization only in the world, but now we see it in the church. The pressures of 2020 and the early part of 21 has, it have, have caused our polarization, our extremism, our biases to rise to the surface. What if? What if our polarization, our our, our biases, our extremism is actually preventing us 
from seeing the harvest from God's perspective. God says, lift up your eyes. He says, there's one saying that holds true. Verse, uh, verse 36, excuse me. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. In other words, the, the one who plants seeds and the one who pulls the, the vegetables out of the ground, the harvest, he says, they're rejoicing together. When Jesus used this phrase, the work of the harvest, he was really speaking about a spiritual reality. This was a metaphor, a picture of many, many people receiving the good news about who he was and his kingdom come to earth and turning, repenting, and believing on his name. When we use the phrase, the harvest, we're referring to a spiritual revival of sorts. We're referring to something of the image I saw in that dream three years ago, that a great harvest was coming in that dream for me, especially for those ministries who are oriented to minister to the next generation. Are you hearing me? Verse, verse 38, I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you've entered into their labor. God, give us understanding of what you're saying through this passage in Jesus' mighty name. I'm gonna put a pause here because I wanna tell a story, a story of the harvest. In this last season, I've had a joy of being a part of a really incredible work of the spirit in our community in Middle Tennessee. I live right in the national area in a town called Franklin. Our county is called Williamson County. A couple years ago, the Lord started to burden my heart for this new place that I'd lived in now um, for, at that time, a year. I'm a traveling, itinerant, prophetic evangelist, but then the Lord started to grip my heart for a local work. And I, I felt the Lord calling me to pioneer student outreach mission. I didn't totally know what that looked. I just knew that it meant college students and high school students. My heart was burning. But I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do? Like, I used to work with high school students when I was in my early 20s. But now I spend the last long season working with college students and young adults. Young adults think I'm cool. High schoolers see me as a dad. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Like, Lord, help me. And then a man came to me in church one Sunday morning. He didn't know what was going on in my heart, but he had heard from God. And he says, God spoke to me a word for you. And I said, what's the word? He says, he wants to give you a new 22. I was like, a new 22? Man, I don't even like guns. And he's like, I'm like <laughs> I was like, I only visit Snohomish. I'm not from Snohomish, you know? <laughs> I equate guns because of my upbringing in Central California in the heart of the Vadio, you know, like we're homicides, gang violence. I equate guns with a different thing, you know? And so I understand pro-Second Amendment, yada, yada. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> some of y'all rednecks know what I'm talking about you're about to leave the church you're about to leave the church but then you thought but if I leave they're going to call me a racist you know so (laughs) brown preacher okay (laughs) you're like can he say I can say I'm a minority and so um, no (laughs) alright we're going to keep going here keep going reel it in guys come on reel it in He says a new 22, he says, God wants to give you new 20, 21, 22 year olds who are gonna come alongside of you to reach high school students in this region. I'm like, Lord, that's what I need. I begin to receive that as the word of the Lord. I love when God speaks because it helps us lift our eyes. We think not only in the realm of what's possible with me, but what does God wanna do? I begin to lift my eyes around that word. A couple weeks later, my wife comes down the stairs. We get in, she, I got an email from our friend Karen Hall, Karen and Ryan Hall. Ryan Hall's one of my best friends. He helped write the song, You're Worthy of It All. You know, I'm not going to sing it, obviously. You just heard that moment. It was nasty. All right. In the, in, in, she says, he, she emailed me and she says, in, 
she receives a dream for us. And in this dream, my wife Jenny is telling Karen, there's a great youth revival that's breaking out. She said the intensity of the presence of God in the dream rises. And then my wife declares in the dream, my wife prophesies, and every campus in Williamson County is open to us. I received that as a word of the Lord. They, in the dream, they looked into the sky and a blimp was writing in the sky, the time is now. Now I've got word on word on word. The Lord says a new 22. Then he says, Williamson County, every school in the county. Then he says, the time is now. I love when we hear God's voice, we operate with a supernatural advantage. Because our hearts might be burning to reach everyone, everywhere. But when we hear God's voice, he hones us in. Schools, this county, I'm going to give you resources and personnel. And the time is now. A couple months later, I was giving an evangelism seminar to 80 college students from colleges across the state of Tennessee. The Lord told me that weekend, I'm going to give you your new 22 this weekend. And so after the two sessions I taught in, I went and sat down. Two young men came and sat down with me, a 20-year-old and a 21-year-old. And they said, you're, the whole time, Adam, you were teaching, our hearts were burning. And we feel like God wants us to partner with you to help reach high school students in our county. They, I'm like, what? Of course he does. You know, new 22, come on. I'm like, this is it. The time is now. I said, well, the, the, we had this dream collectively to launch, relaunch this ministry called Wilco United to gather students from every campus in Williamson County to unite them, to worship, pray, preach the gospel, call people to faith and, and repentance in G, to Christ and to pray for healing and to do the works of Jesus. You know, we're like, how are we going to gather people? How are we going to do this? We, we see hundreds gathering. How are we going to do that? One of the young guys goes, I've got an idea. And they're like, we heard of this thing happening in our county where these high school kids borrowed five grand from their dad, their business father, their businessman dad, in order to start a new business. And the business they started was a rave business. They started putting on parties on late Friday nights, Saturday nights, the book a venue, hire a DJ, lights, uh, an aspiring, you know, recording artist, which is not hard to do in Nashville. And hundreds of kids turned out. And you know, raves are not, it's not a Bible study, right? Um, <laughs> these kids are not going to heaven, you know? <laughs> not yet, okay? Not yet. <laughs> she was about to leave. Okay, so. <laughs> it would have been awkward. She's on the worship team. And so, uh. <laughs> And so I said, what do you, what's in your mind? These guys say, well, we find out, we found out where these businessmen lives. And I'm like, you mean the junior, senior in high school? Like, we found out where they live. I'm like, that's creepy. <laughs> I was like, but I like it. <laughs> what do you want to do? And they're like, well, we're thinking about building a relationship with them. What if God wants to use their influence in their generation for the sake of the gospel? Re referring to Luke chapter 10, the son of peace idea. I said, let's, let's do it. We prayed. We got strategy from God. Next thing you know, they knock on the door, introduce themselves to this young man. That turned into weekly meetings for the next three months. They preached the gospel to these young men, prophesied over them, prayed for them, called them into repentance. The young men were not repentant, but they're, they're, they were drawing nearer and nearer to the kingdom. They were some of the most influential party kids in our county. And then we challenged them. God wants to use your influence for eternal good. Let us partner with you at your next rave. They're like, what? <laughs> and we said, we'll bring 50 paying customers, but we get the microphone for 20 minutes and we get to preach Jesus at the end of the rave. And <laughs> his death, his resurrection, we're gonna call people to repent and believe because there's no other name by which men can be saved. 
they, they had a business meeting, they came back to us, and they said, let's do it. Now we're the rave business. We're like, what? <laughs> and so we started preparing, right? We started preparing. The next thing you know, we get a phone call, and this phone call is a board of trustees member from a venue in downtown Nashville, 14 miles north from where we live, called Rocket Town. It's a state-of-the-art venue that actually... A man by the name of Michael W. Smith helped start alongside money that was raised by George Bush Sr. about 20-something years ago. State-of-the-art venue. They called us. They said, what you guys are doing, that's our DNA. Can we partner together? They're like, there's this other rave ministry from Kentucky. I'm like, in Kentucky? In Kentucky, you know, who wants to come down and host a rave together. Can we do this together? They said, we'll give you the facility. We'll pay for the security, the police presence. We'll do all of that. We'll even promote it to our database throughout Nashville. All of a sudden, our rave just blew up. And we're like, what are we going to do? Rave night comes around, a thousand paying customers turn up. High school students from three different counties. One of the new 22s stands up with a microphone, preaches the gospel, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the offer of eternal life for everyone who turns from their, their, their sins and, and believes on him. And 400 young people said yes to Jesus. Come on. Hey, the rave became a save. The rave became a save when we leveraged it for the sake of the gospel. How powerful is this? We created a text in. To, if, you get, if you come to the altar at the rave, text the name Jesus to this number, and we're going to send you every day a video for the next 10 days, a discipleship video that lasts two minutes. It's my, it's my young friends and then my old face in the videos telling them the way of Jesus. My phone was buzzing, bzz, bzz, bzz. hundreds of notifications were chiming in. So we said, we're going to do another follow-up event. We're, that's, that's how we're going to gather every campus in Williamson County. So we're going to do a Wilco United event that following Friday. So we text our database, come join us for a night. To, of, we're going to encounter Jesus. 400 young people show up. There's healings, there's miracles, there's hundreds at the altar repenting of their sin. We're like, let's do it again. We had another rave and another Wilco United. In a three-month period, we saw 800 young people make professions of faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Come on. I want to tell you something. When God sends a message and he's calling a people to lift up their eyes, it's always because he has supernatural intent for the sake of the harvest and for the sake of eternity. Pursue church. Will you lift up your eyes? Will you refuse to look? At the context of our day in 2021, through the broken lens of your own human ability. And will you begin to lift your eyes to see from a place of faith, a place of hope, a place of conviction that no, I'm not going to say three or four months and then the harvest. Are you hearing me? There's a call in the church today in America, especially here in the Pacific Northwest, to lift up our eyes. Jesus was not preaching a standalone statement. He was actually borrowing a statement from the Old Testament and he was pulling it into his day. I love the prophetic when it can pull something from what, from what is ancient, what is old and make it relevant for today and put an exclamation mark on something we already know to be true. That's what Jesus was doing when he gave this message, lift up your eyes. It's the exclamation mark on what is written. And if we actually study scripture throughout the Old Testament, we see this phrase was used again and again and again. One of the first times being Genesis 13, where a man called Abram, who was advanced in years, well at the end of his life, 
And the Lord had promised him offspring. He promised him a son through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And yet Abraham had not even one child. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot left him, he said, Abram, don't look at your cousin who's left you. Instead, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Now look from the place where you are, north, south, east, west, for all the land that you see I will give you and your offspring forever. And I will make your offspring, not Lot's offspring, Abraham, your offspring, as the dust of the earth, so that if one could count the dust of the earth, your offspring would also be counted. We see this again where he'd call them outside. And he said, Abraham, lift up your eyes and count the stars if you can. Your offspring will be more than them. When God calls us to lift up our eyes, he's always calling us to look beyond the realm of what is possible in human ingenuity, strength, and giftedness. We see this again in Genesis 31 where Jacob goes, Abraham, Isaac, and then the son of Isaac is Jacob, the thief, the stealer, the deceiver, the wild son, Jacob. He is actually being cheated out by his uncle, one of his relatives. His uncle's deceived him. He's scheming against him. He's stealing from him. The uncle said, you can have all the spotted goats, but I get all those pure goats. And then he, he rigged it so that there would be more pure goats than there would spotted goats. But God, but God broke in. Let's look at this. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes. And, and, and I saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob. And I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. God invades this young man's dream. And he's saying, lift up your eyes, son. Even though his intent is to harm you, I am blessing you. And it's not because you earned it. Some of us are looking at this going, man, I want God's blessing. Some of us are looking at this and going, but I'm not Jacob. And I say, yes, you are. All of us are Jacob. Read the story. We're all the thieving one. We're all the liars. We're all the wayward ones. We're all the ones who want to stand in our own strength. We're all the independent ones. We're all the ones who need the dealings and the breakings of God in order to correct our vision and the posture of our heart. We're all Jacob. And God comes to us, the broken ones, and he says, lift up your eyes. Though the enemy is scheming against you to steal, kill, and destroy, though you've been cheated, though you've been betrayed, though you've been wounded, though many of you have lost your jobs in this last season, though many of you are suffering, though many of you have family members who've passed, lift up your eyes. And he's saying, I am here to bless you. I am here to pour my hand of favor upon you. Oh, this is so powerful. I have a lot of these scriptures. We'll just look at one more for the sake of time. So the psalmist and his help, Psalm 121. Can we do one more scripture? Is that okay? Yeah. Some of us who were at church in the 90s, we remember this song, Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills, the psalmist says, for where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. What we learn from this passage is that the practice of lifting our eyes is actually a devotional practice that we can engage daily. The psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills where my help comes from. In other words, I'm not looking at my own creativity, my own ingenuity, my own, my own intelligence, my own strength. I'm not looking at my own ability. I'm lifting my eyes to see where my help comes from. I think this is a practice that the Holy Spirit's been inviting the church in, especially in this last long year, a year of pressure and shakings and even, I'll say, trauma on a global scale. 
How many of you know as an American, an American Christian, we do not do well when it comes to weakness? We have an aversion to weakness, and yet weakness is actually the doorway to God's power. My power is perfected in your weakness. We'd rather stand in our own strength. We'd rather get it done. We'd rather pull up our bootstraps. We'd rather not simply pray and wait and listen. We'd rather not simply pray and wait and listen. We have an aversion to weakness. I'll tell this last story here, and then we're going to have time of ministry responding to the Lord. In the middle of spring when all my travel was canceled last year and I, I was looking down the pipeline like we're not going to be able to do a youth event all schools are closed all of my mission was canceled like Lord what am I supposed to do I'm a missionary and my mission is canceled I can't even I can't even raise support through serving churches right now Lord how am I going to pr provide for our ministry and our family and then I went to bed the Lord gave me a dream and it was God and it was a dream for a, a someone's calling and there was wisdom in the dream that I knew I had to share, but I wasn't going to any churches that week or the weeks to come. I wouldn't visit any other churches for the rest of the year. I said, I wonder who's gonna call me or get a hold of me today. I received an email that afternoon from a businessman in Hong Kong. This is a man who attended a conference I did the year before, year and a half before in Hong Kong. I prayed for him and his whole family. And the Lord spoke to me and said, ask him about his oldest son. I asked him about his oldest son in the email. He hits me back and he says, he's, we're in a lot of difficult place. And there was a whole list of reasons why. I said, I received a dream. It's for your son. Here it is. Here's the word of the Lord to you. A couple weeks later, he hits me back. He says, we've been in much prayer. We've experienced personal revival. There's been lots of repentance in our family. We're coming alive. Like all because God would give you this dream on the other side of the world, the very day I would reach out to you. He said, thank you. And then he put a check it, he, and he sent money to us, the equivalent of which covered something like four or five weekends serving churches. And I'm like, Lord, what the heck? I can't, I can't go to Hong Kong. I can't even go down the street. Churches are closed. All I did was go to bed. And then the Lord says, it's like, I do some of my best work when you're resting in me. Oh, the joy of lifting our eyes, raising our gaze. Oh, the joy of repenting of our self-standing, just righteousness, our, our, our independent spirit and saying, Lord, I'm tired of living my own way. There are some here today who this is your moment and this is your day to say, I, I'm turning away from standing in my own strength because my own strength has brought me to a place of brokenness and of deep need. And I'm realizing I need the life of Jesus pumping through my veins. Some of you are here and you need to know this, that Jesus lived the life that you could not live. That Jesus died the death that you and I deserved. That Jesus rose from the grave demonstrating he alone has power and authority over death, hell, and the grave. Jesus is right here today offering you an invitation saying, will you turn from your self-rule? Will you believe on my name? Will you stand not in your own strength, but will you come in weakness and kneel before me? And the act of kneeling is a, is, a, is a sign of weakness. It's saying, Lord, here I am. Lord, I'm tired of going my own way. Lord, I'm here coming under your leadership. And I think there are many here today who need to come and kneel before the Lord God who's inviting you into his perfect strength.
Let's stand together, church family. Father, in Jesus' name, ministry teams, as you come forward, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for my friends around this room that those young and old who are hearing a call this morning to bow the knee before Jesus, some of them who have made professions of faith in Christ before, some of them who have, who have, who have attended many church services, but they've actually never surrendered and bowed the knee to Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to repent and believe. Work on their hearts even now in the mighty name of Jesus. As the, as the worship teams leads us in a chorus of response, and then they're gonna close us out in a minute here. On the count of three, I'm gonna invite some of you forward who want to come and kneel before Jesus as an act of surrender. And I'm just gonna say three, two, one, and you can make your way out of your aisle and come and take a knee. If you're able, take a knee before Jesus. If you're unable to take a knee, come and stand in the presence of God as an act of surrender. Can we do that, church family? You wanna bow the knee to Jesus and surrender your strength to him, to surrender and to give your weakness to him so that you can be filled with his strength and stand in his righteousness alone. To be saved on this day, you can come forward in three, two, one. Come forward now, friends, and worship team, you can lead us.